Hi, everybody. Welcome to the February 20th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the race for the chair of the Colorado Republican Party. Current chairman Ryan Call is running for his third term, but despite big wins in 2014, he's facing opposition within his party. Alicia Caldwell from the Denver Post, uh, are you surprised that uh, after what seemingly was a pretty successful 2014 that uh, Call is seeing such a battle for the chairmanship? No, not at all. Actually, this is a microcosm of what's happening to the Republican Party at the national level and, and throughout state, in states throughout the nation. You know, it's a battle between the further right elements and the more centrist elements of the party. And the um, challenge that he's facing from Steve House really mirrors that, um, that exact dynamic. So we'll, I, I suspect it'll, it, that he'll prevail, Ryan Cole will prevail in the end, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, like Alicia talks about, is there still, even, even with some big wins last year, is there a big schism within the party that uh, might cause even more problems? House's particular claim against Call is that Call refused to provide the support for, for two candidates who ended up losing very close state house, state legislative races. Tony Sanchez, who was almost elected to the state senate, and Susan Kochevar, who almost won a house race, which would have put the, and her win would have put the house in Republican hands. Uh, so the argument is that they were close, they were fighting hard, and he wouldn't even do, Ryan Call wouldn't do a mailer for them in the, the last couple of weeks when it, that could have put them over the top. I don't know the details of that, but that would be the allegation. And, and certainly any chair of a major party has to be able to work with, with all the groups in the party, the, the moderates, the who, sincere moderates, the squishy moderates, the, the hardcore ideological people, and, and have strategies to help them all get elected. Mike Litwin, columnist with ColoradoIndependent.com. Uh, what do you think? Well, I, I'm surprised that the Cory Gardner model, which, you know, took, which has been acclaimed as the model for... Um, for Republicans to get elected in swing states like Colorado has been ignored so quickly in Colorado <laughs> that you have a purity campaign for the for the uh, chairman. You have in the state Senate one one vote after another that is showing, in my view, why that the Senate that the Republican senators are doing the same thing that got lost in the Senate ten years ago by by getting out there quickly in the culture wars that are losers in the polls. Right. Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280 Magazine, wrap it up for us. Well, I think as babyface as Ryan Call sometimes looks, he has a lot of experience in exactly this scenario. At least, yes, there are people in his party who don't think that he's extreme enough or conservative enough. That happens. But what he's proven to be is very good at finding a more middle ground, something that appeals to Colorado voters. I think he has every right to stand up in front of his party and say, hey, it may not all be me. Part of this was part national trends, you know, candidates, of course. But I had something to do with the 2014 results. So 
let me have another stab at it. And, and I think ultimately I, I, I would be surprised if his party doesn't listen to that sort of line of reason. Um, it, it, is, it is interesting to see how quickly things can change, though. Nothing is ever, ever safe in politics. <laughs> you can say that again. The defacing of the Denver Police Memorial last weekend by protesters set off a very public battle between the police chief and rank-and-file officers. The Denver Police Protective Association has called for Chief White's resignation over the policy of not interfering with protesters even as they were about to deface the memorial. Alicia, this has been news uh, throughout the week, and it's come down to that policy of not interfering. And it seems that, be, at least before this time, that policy has been very helpful. When you've seen police in other cities get involved, there's been other problems. But this was a, a, a turning point. Can the Police Protective Association sway, uh, I guess, the powers that be and, and do some harm to Chief White's uh, uh, status? I hope not. I thought it was a very rational approach, a, a really um, a differential response to a, a situation. Now, I'm sure if somebody's, if someone were to be harmed or someone's, you know, life was in danger, there was violence, you know, the, the cops would have reacted immediately. But this was what looked to me like latex paint. I saw them wash it off with a hose later. You know, it, it's disrespectful and it's wrong to vandalize that monument, but I think it could have turned out quite a bit worse if, if the cops had, you know, gotten very tough. There could be, you know, pushing and shoving could be worse. I mean, there, somebody could have gotten their hand on a gun or, you know, it, it just could have gone very badly. Um, in this situation, people were arrested immediately afterward, and the people who were there to protest had the opportunity to have their say. So I, 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 hope, he does, I hope Chief White doesn't change course on this. David, it seemed that, uh, like Alicia mentioned, it, it all turned out okay. And for me, at least, watching it, before the, the Police Protective Association came out and announced that this was, was terrible about Chief White, that the police would almost have a positive PR situation where people are saying, yeah, gosh, the protest was this. this the people, I think the normal folks are watching and saying that was despicable. But then as soon as you say, no, that should have been protected and make it an issue, you lose that positive momentum. How, how, much, um, how much role does the police union have in the public portrayal of what's going on here? Well, they're, of course, they're trying to play a, a major role. Uh, I would give credit to uh, the mother of Jesse Hernandez, who was the uh, subject of the protest, because she said she opposed the criminals who defaced the memorial for actually courageous police, very courageous heroic police officers who gave their lives protecting other people and, and taking on violent criminals, as Vincent Carroll pointed out in a great column in the Post this week. Anytime you have stuff big events going on in the street, it's not uncommon that to the core of people who are there to make a point about some issue, that in that, on the fringes, <clears throat> fringes of that, you get thugs and criminals who come along. You saw that in Ferguson, where there were lots of people who were protesting an issue, and there were also criminal gangsters from St. Louis and other places who came into the town to loot and riot and steal. Same kind of thing for these two scumbags who defaced the police memorial. Uh, one of them has a record of assaulting a police officer before. I, I don't want to second-guess Chief White for dealing with a tactical situation as it was going on, but I think in general you, de you do have to draw the line and say, yeah, go out and have 
protest on whatever issue you care about. But no, you can't go and start vandalizing other people's property. You know, what if they started breaking people the windows at the police station or anybody else's house or obstructing traffic? That's wrong. Your right to protest doesn't include the right to harm other people by shutting down traffic, by destroying or harming property. And I, I think it's time for stronger leadership from the mayor to say enough is enough, protest all you want, but no crimes against other people or other people's property while you're doing the protest. Mike, the police union seemed to double down on the whole idea by putting out a uh, letter to the citizens of Colorado, again calling for the resignation of Chief White. So they're not about to let this go, but do you think that's going to add any pressure at the city council or the mayor level, or do you think they're pretty firm with supporting Chief White? I think the last people they listen to are the, is the police union. The police union is it does not have a huge amount of credibility within the, within the Denver city government. And... Uh, to, to take on to take on Dave's point about the about the police versus the protesters, I, I give the I give the cops a lot of credit for restraint here, and uh, the 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 worst thing beyond a couple of hypotheticals that you mentioned, and worse beyond uh, breaking a few windows, which we don't hope they don't, but worse be, far worse beyond that is the idea that we'll get into a cops versus protesters dynamic, which would only build up the protesters' side, as far as, as, far as I can see, and make it more, and make the idea of, of not the protests themselves, which, which, which are worthwhile, but make the... Um, the violence of any protests, or make the uh, make make it that seem more legitimate, because you have on one side. Then you have what if these you know what if the cops had gone there and, and wrestled the, wrestled these guys to the ground, pe pepper sprayed them, done whatever else, and overreacted, which is what cops often do when anything when anything happens against cops. I don't say cops often usually overreact, but when something happens with a cop involved, cops almost always overreact. And so I credit them for restraint. I think the last thing they want to do is be involved in a cop versus protester situation. I think usually in Colorado we've been very good at that, and I think Chief White has basically done the right thing. And I also want to second what you said about Vincent Carroll's column. It was a very moving column in which he took which he took the stories of the of the policemen who who died and women who died in the line of duty and told how they died and told what they were defending and what they faced and how the vandals who spilled paint on those memorials would never understand what in fact these people had done for other people right Mike I agree with your point that there's um the, the restraint showed by the Denver police, I think, went a long way. And, and frankly, I guess, Natasha, as we come to you, the police union's point, I, I understand where they're coming from, but it's almost showing such a thin skin that if I'm one of those, um, not the main protesters protesting a point, but one of the thugs and the, the, the uh, uh, scumbags, as uh, David put it, um, now I'm finding exactly how to get under uh, somebody's skin. Yeah. The, the police themselves acted the right way and, and didn't let that go, but 
Denver Police Protective Association are certainly uh, showing exactly how to irritate at least that group of people. Um, what do you think of the whole situation? You know, this week I had an opportunity to talk to some police officers about what they felt about this, and their emotions are raw. I mean, I think what the police union is saying is representing that, how harmful and hurtful this was to their organization. And, and frankly, as, as I, I can't truly understand that because I'm not a police officer. I don't have to do that job. Um, but that reaction is, is utterly wrong. I think what they did that day is, is perfectly right. It raises this question of what role does the police, do the police play in, in our communities? What reaction should they take? Sometimes that can go the way of a lethal reaction. We've seen that recently. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the role, and I would say more often than not, is, is actually peace. It's, it's about you know, community safety. It's about interactions with the community. Having, this is not a moment for an, eye, for an eye reaction. It was a moment to be an adult in the room and say, you know, that's not okay. We're going to prosecute you. You're going to get in a mm -hmm. lot of trouble for this. But we're not going to engage because I think right now, sitting at this table, if that interaction had gone differently, it would have been a very black mark on Denver's history. And instead, we can look at it as a moment for the Denver PD to start rebuilding some trust with their own community at a time where these conversations are very difficult to have. It's, it's a huge win, and regardless of the, the awfulness of the crime, which I think is, is hard to... to advocate for. I mean, it's awful. Right. But this is a chance to say, DPD, you did a good job. Mm -hmm. I agree. In what some are calling a risky move, Republicans in the state Senate refused to approve a bill that would grant $2 million of funding for the Colorado Department of Safety. The dispute stems from an amendment to the bill placed by House Democrats, which would fund background checks for concealed carry permits. Uh, David, you're by far our, our gun expert here, so when it comes to background checks, you'll know the information here. But it's, it, procedurally, it seemed like a risky move because they kicked it back to the House, and if they don't knock off that amendment, the bill dies. Do you think it was a risky move? And tell us more about what the funding would go towards. Well, I think it was a responsible move given where we are right now. According to Sheriff Steve Reams of Weld County, when they process concealed carry permits, because you, you go to the sheriff and then the sheriff sends fingerprints to the FBI, which takes quite a while often, and also sends information to the CBI. He says the CBI is doing its part of the process within two or three days. This House amendment from the governor supposedly says if we don't hire eight new CBI people for concealed carry permit background checks, we're going to have waits of 50 days by the end of the year. I don't understand how you go from a two or three day wait now to this 50 day situation. And I will say the media reports on this haven't done any work at digging into what's the cause of this discrepancy. I will also say that this current administration is terrible about any kind of forecasting on background checks. When they passed the Bloomberg bill in 2013, it came along with a fiscal note that said, because of this bill, there are going to be 200,000 additional background checks in Colorado on private sales. Well, as it turned out, the number of background checks on private transactions actually declined after they passed the bill. But they they appropriated the money with the, with the fiscal note and made their fiscal planning on 200,000 more. So the forecasting record is weak. I think it's crazy for the House to say, okay, we've got this bill, which started out on things that everybody agrees in, you know, more money for rape kits, things like that. And the Senate's completely willing to pass that. But they the House is saying, no, unless you don't, unless we get 
the eight extra bureaucrats, then no rape kits for anyone. Mike, I guess I can understand the, the problem with the House amendment. I get that with the, the, the problems over the predictions of how much it's going to be. But procedurally, it's still a risky move. A little bit, but 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 procedurally, procedurally, it's still a risky move because they didn't send it to a compromise committee or anything like that. They just sent it right back to the House. And I think while we're not talking about the whole state budget, we're talking about two million dollars for the Department of Safety. That will look extremely bad. You can you can win the logical argument, but lose the argument in the court of public opinion. I guess would be my point. As you look at the situation, what do you think? Uh, let me go back to the Cory Gardner model again. <laughs> the idea. Yeah, that I believe I believe the state Senate is is uh, is shooting itself with all four on guns in the foot. Um, that that they're taking they're they're having to defend an issue which says the governor says it's taking too long for the CBI to get back um, concealed carry permits. We want to hire people to make it quicker, and the gun people, the gun supporters, are saying. No, it's already quick enough. Even though they're saying we want to get rid of the concealed weapon carry altogether, we want to get rid of the permits. We're saying that no, we're not. We're not really inconvenienced by having to wait. We're fine with whatever inconvenience there is, except we want to get rid of it altogether. So they're stuck. They're stuck with this argument. They're saying we're willing. We're willing to have a showdown in the, in the early in the session. You don't usually have showdowns this time of the session. You usually have them all in the last week. They have a showdown now and say, we're, we're willing to give up on the rape kits and the DUI tests and the child abuse stuff because we don't want our concealed carry constituents to get their guns more quickly. This is a crazy argument that they will lose. This is a showdown that will, sh that will de allow Democrats a free shot, a free shot at saying, you guys have brought D.C. dysfunction to Colorado. This is what Cory Gardner said. Cory Gardner said, you know, that he was the, when I was there on the night that he, uh, that he uh, had his, his announcement, his winning speech, acceptance speech, and he said that he was the tip of the spear going to Washington to uh, end dysfunction in D.C. Well, dysfunction in D.C. hasn't seemed to change very much, but it seems like he left that spear with, uh, with, uh, with the Senate Republicans, and they've been aiming it right towards their foot. Mike, I, I get your point, especially. I, I got to <laughs> believe Cory Gardner is going to really enjoy the, uh, the different comments you've had on the show. Uh, Natasha, um, <laughs> Again, there's there's the issue at hand that they're talking about with background checks and the the, the difference between they have with with Governor Hickelooper. But there's also the fact that the Senate Dem Republicans have not been bashful this season, this session so far. We've only been into it for about gosh a little over than about a month and a half or so. We've seen them in the headlines over and over again, taking pretty firm stands uh, uh, on the on the right on the political right side of things. Um, is this a step too far, or is this going to be applauded by their supporters? I think it is a step too far. Maybe they've been emboldened by that, you know, success or notoriety that they've had early on here. Uh, and regardless, and this is awful because as a journalist, I don't want to say this, but regardless of the specifics or, or, or the actual facts, sometimes you have to realize you live in a society where people only read headlines. I mean, how often do we hear someone say, oh, I, I don't know the facts, I just read the headline. Like, I, don't, I didn't read the article, I just I read the headline. And in this particular situation, um, the headline against them is not good. 
And and that's where you, sometimes you have to make compromises. You know, I think about like the old pro and con list. You sit down and make the pros and the cons of what, what you're fighting for. Or what is this the effective way to reach the end goal that they want with background checks? Probably not. There's better ways to do that. And instead, they've made this into a bit of a media circus. And I don't think that's going to play out well for them. Alicia, do House Democrats take advantage of, of the position they're in and go ahead and, and, and refuse to take off that amendment and, and let it die and see what happens? I don't know if that's the right move at the end of the day. I, I mean, at the end, it looks to me like they're going to shoot each other's hostages, and I'm not really sure what, <laughs> you know, what good that does. You know, at, at its core, this is a cynical move by Senate Republicans to defund a program that they disagree with, that they don't have the votes to repeal in the legislature. Um, this money is set up as fees. This money that that um, that CBI wants to do these background checks. And the CBI says it's about a 45-day wait now. I have no reason not to trust the CBI in their estimates. Um, and that the wait will um, grow longer if they don't get these eight processors. If it goes beyond 90 days, uh, Colorado law says that the sheriffs who are processing these concealed carry background permits have to move forward without the background check. And I think that's the ultimate aim. And that's not good for Colorado. Let's get a quick take on this one. Safe Streets, a D.C.-based anti-drug organization, filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court this week over Colorado's legalization of retail marijuana. The suit targets lawmakers, pot shops, and even a construction company who delivered water to a marijuana grow plant uh, that, that worked with growers, citing its disregard of federal law and impact on communities. Uh, Mike, what's your quick take on what has garnered, garnered pretty big national headlines? <laughs> well, I... You know, Dave is the one who can tell us about the law, but it's, but it, the law, it's, they're suing on, on racketeering, is that right? That, that, yeah, it's one of them. Saying that the governor and this guy with the truck are racketeers. And, you know, one of the reasons that Colorado adopted the, uh, the legalization of marijuana was to get the gangsters out of marijuana. And, um, you know, the war on drugs has been a disaster in the country. It's, it's, it's stunning to me. What's stunning to me beyond these lawsuits is how well the law has worked so far in Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's worked better beyond anyone's expectations and not because we're racketeers. Right. Natasha, um, <laughs> what's your quick take on this? Well, I think that these, these lawsuits just prove that there is this massive elephant in the room. Federal law, state law, there's a discrepancy. And until those things are resolved, we can live in this bubble and really applaud, and I have to applaud, you know, the success of these programs, the money the, that it's bringing to our economy. Oh, there's a lot of good coming out of it. But there's still this elephant, <laughs> and we got to deal with it at some point. And that's what these lawsuits hint at. Alicia, I'm no lawyer, but do you think this is, uh, they're going to make more hay with lawsuits like this? Are, are more probably coming like this? Oh, assuredly, there, there will be more coming like this. There, there are so many iterations of this conflict, you know, between federal and state um, laws that, that surely there will be. I think one flaw, and again, I'm not a lawyer either. I did cover federal court for a while, so that makes me feel like I can say something about <laughs> you this. You can play one but, on TV. <laughs> um, but, but perspective injury is never something that, that gets very far, and that's what, you know, that's one of the, the claims that's common to both of these lawsuits. If this happens, then this will happen to me. So, you know, I'm not so sure that these are really a serious threat, but they once again echo, you know, as Natasha said, this, this conflict that has to be resolved. 
David, how does this go down? You are our lawyer in the room, so tell us what you think. <laughs> well, some, sometimes perspective threat is uh, when it's imminent and substantial and, and serious one. enough, yeah, yeah. Is, is, is enough to win. Uh, the core of the problem is the, the Reagan, Bush the first, Clinton the first, uh, <laughs> massive over-criminalization and, and growth of, of federal criminal law, <laughs> including on, on drug laws and other things. And yeah, it's ridiculous to say that if you're operating a legal business in Colorado or supplying water to a legal business, that that's racketeering. But Congress wrote a ridiculously overbroad statute <laughs> with the racketeering on uh, the RICO statute, and the drug statutes are, are way overbroad, and they've been abused on a bipartisan basis uh, by various administrations and by private plaintiffs. And so I think the solution is to, in the long run, get back to our original constitutional system of government where things like marijuana in Colorado are an issue for the people of Colorado and not for uh, D.C. I love we'll when see what happens. And I agree. <laughs> I know. It, it was pretty entertaining for me, too. Yeah. Uh, let's get to our, our uh, even more entertaining part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Alicia, start us off. Uh, the State Board of Education for pay, playing politics with uh, federal money, that uh, Title I money that supports um, kids in poverty in the state, it's, it's not a winning um, strategy. David. The Maduro dictatorship in Venezuela, which arrested the, the mayor of Caracas on bogus charges. Mike. Rudy Giuliani, who thinks that, uh, that, that Obama does not love America. I would say that America must, however, love Obama, who it's elected twice, more than Giuliani, who it's elected never. <laughs> And Natasha. I have to give credit. Walmart is giving raises to many of their workers. That's good news. The bad news, it's probably not enough. We really need to have some, some big decisions made on both living wage and mini minimum wage. Say something nice about somebody. Alicia? Coke Industries and the Center for American Progress, which, according to the New York Times, <laughs> are joining forces to pursue a, a criminal justice reform. You don't often see these players on the same team. You do not very often as well. You're absolutely right. David. Also for bipartisan good government, my late father has a new book out, You're which here. I helped put together, <laughs> Rules for State Legislators, uh, introduction by Di uh, Representative Diana DeGette, and it is a guide to how st state legislatures work and about our, our state's history, available in, in print at the tattered cover or online uh, from Amazon. Fantastic. Love to see that. Mike. I can't top that, but uh, I have uh, my friends, colleagues, former colleagues, present colleagues, Lynn Bartles, mm. Mike Keefe, and Mary Chandler have all been named by the press club to their Hall of Fame, and all are amazingly deserving. You're here. Absolutely. Natasha. At the risk of embarrassing myself terribly, I was pulled over this week for <laughs> driving too slow in the left lane. Um, I was driving the speed limit. But I have to say that it was a great reminder of how often citizens have interactions with police that are not terrible, that are actually very nice and very kind. I got a nice little introduction and reminder about Colorado state law, and, and I have to commend them for what they do every day in a nonviolent and a very appropriate way. Here. Let's hope that record continues after uh, our conversation today. That's all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember that if you missed any part of the show or want to catch our web-exclusive segment CIO postgame, check out CPT12.org or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me at DDizzuti. Also, I'm excited to announce that we are officially on an iTunes podcast. You can listen to our show right there on iTunes, so search us out, or you can hear the audio anytime you like. Be sure to check it out. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.